0: Hey everyone, welcome back to SaaS Rent Podcast. I'm your host, Podcast Pete, and today special guest Andrew McNeely, head of sales at Hex. Welcome to the show, Andrew. Thank you. Appreciate you having me, Pete. It's awesome to have you on. this This call was no different than any other call when I have somebody interesting on, and like the precast is what we call it. The precast, if that would have been recorded, extremely interesting precast. So we just hope to mimic the precast with the actual podcast on this one. Okay. Let me, uh, let me bring you right into this one with like, like just a little background. So head of sales, interesting job title, Hex, interesting company. So would just like to know a little bit more about Andrew yourself. So like kind of what'd you do growing up? How'd you kind of make your way over into this role?
1: Yeah, I won't go back into ancient history, but got my start, start in the data science space at a company called Domino, Domino Data Lab. I was pretty early there, top 20 employees, very early market, very early on the go-to-market team. And back in 2016, 2017 this is when there were a bunch of articles about data scientists are the sexiest job out there, but no one really knew what they were, what they did. They were just really smart, highly paid people. And we had the, really the first enterprise data science platform in the market. And it was a really interesting and challenging time, figuring out how to sell like high ASP deals to a bunch of people who had historically never had budget IT had purchased for them and they were the sort of new up and coming role. And it was a challenge. It was really hard. It still is hard selling in the same space, but I fell in love with the, with the industry, the conversations, very like both a really nice balance of business focus and technical focus. Um, and I just, I, yeah, I, I got pretty deep in the space and then I, I bounced around to a couple places, but two years ago, I actually got connected with our CEO, Barry McArdle, mm. just talking about go, bringing up early data science product to market. And he, he jokingly asked me if I was ready to come to Hex and they were a little early for me and I turned him down, but I regretted that. And a year later, so basically last summer, he called me again and said, Hey, we quietly raised a series a, we've got some revenue. Are you interested in coming and getting the sales motion off the ground? And I started last August, so been here over a year and it's been great since then.
0: Yeah, fantastic. Okay. That's awesome. I've been watching y'all's growth and not just a, a series A at this point. So maybe just for the audience where you guys sit in the in, you know, in the raise in the funding rounds that sometimes indicate kind of where you are as a company.
1: Yeah, we we really hit the ground running in the second half of last year and we had some really nice growth. We had some really nice tailwinds in the venture world that have since cooled off. But we were fortunate, we're really timed this well. We were able to raise a series B at the beginning of last year, or at the beginning of this year, I should say, led by Andreessen Horowitz with participation from both Databricks and Snowflake Ventures, which was, which was really cool for us.
0: That is awesome. That's awesome in the data space. All right. Yeah. Congratulations on that one too. You chose
1: wisely. <laughs> we'll see. We, we got a lot of work to do still, though.
0: Right. All right. Before we dive into that work, your background. Did you go to? Did you go to? Did you know from the age of seven, maybe eight, nine years old that you would be a technical slash business minded data scientist sales leader?
1: No, but tech sales is in my blood. My old man was in tech sales. He was early mainframe sales, and he had a long career at Sun Microsystems. So. I've been in and around the tech space for for most of my life. A good chunk of my family works in tech, so it was it was sort of preordained in that sense.
0: No way. Okay. Okay. Interesting. That is interesting. I keep tabs on this. It's like four in a row, by the way. Go to market leaders. They're like, "Yo, actually," and I'm just like, because the four before that were just like, "No, no, fine arts degree." I kind of fell into this, you know, like that. Oh,
1: No, it was it was pretty deliberate. It was always the plan for me. Anyway.
0: That's awesome. Okay. Okay. Very cool on that one. And is there any indication throughout college or anything like that, like any piece of your education whatsoever that led you to this or like there was, had any kind of correlation or is it just all on the job training? Like, is this a hundred percent like learned in real time?
1: No, I think, I mean, you couldn't get a sales degree at Miami of Ohio where I went. So the closest thing to that was marketing. So I I majored in marketing with always with the understanding that sales was sort of the long-term path for me, but. No, nah, most, I think I got to where I am now, largely sort of school of hard knocks. I don't think much of that was directly transferable to what I'm doing today.
0: All right. Well, that's awesome. So tell, maybe tell me about Hex then, like what do you guys do? Like wh- whereabouts are you? Like everything about that organization and, and why do they keep coming back and, and saying, here's another, you know, here's a series A, here's a series B. There, there's something there that I'd love to know about.
1: Yeah. Like, so one of the, one of the things we call ourselves is the front end of the modern data stack. And I'm old enough to remember in the data space, when people were screaming about data being the new oil back in 2010 and things like Hadoop and big data platforms, we going to transform the way organizations like fundamentally operated well. You know, a lot, a lot of CIOs have egg on their face still to this day for making massive investments in that Hadoop infrastructure and sort of that big data craze. And I think a lot of the reason there was that the infrastructure hadn't caught up. It hadn't thoroughly modernized, and a lot of people didn't really get the value that they thought they would have of those early investments. And if you look in the past, I don't know, five years with things like Snowflake and Databricks, and the modern data stack as we like to talk about you know with things like fivetran getting data out of your source applications into the data into the warehouse dbt for doing data modeling on top of that the core infrastructure in the modern data stack has come a really long way in the past 5 years and like finally lives up to the hype that different companies were promising in the late 2000s early 2010s What we don't believe that has caught up to that is sort of the front end of that modern data stack. And you still have a lot of legacy sort of BI tools or data science analytics tools that are sitting on top of these modern data stacks that have been built out over the past half decade. And so at Hex, we've built what we believe is the most modern application for analysts, data scientists, machine learning engineers to extract value out of all those investments that they've made at the data infrastructure level.
0: Okay. Okay. So like break that down further. This is like Michael Scott moment of like, okay, now tell yeah. it to me I was third.
1: Yeah. I forget. I'm not talking to a data guy here. I, yeah, my dad, I spend all day talking to data folks.
0: This is, this is my secret superpower as like an enablement person or a podcaster. I'm like, you know, I don't know about that. Tell it to me easier so I can turn around and tell everybody else that way as well. Build them on up.
1: Yeah, sure. And, and we're working on messaging right now. So I'm a little into the weeds on this. Basically, we, we, our product philosophy is, is a low floor, high ceiling, and we, we serve a big constituency of people who are building analytical products and supporting the business in key decision making. And we integrate natively with all of the investments that you've made in and around the data space so that you can bring a large, very diverse constituency of data folks, some very technical on the machine learning engineering side, and some who are Less technical might just be analysts who are SQL or Excel users under one platform where they can collaborate in a, like a real-time, like a Google Doc-like interface on all of the data assets that a company has built out.
0: Okay. Is there any kind of like, like what do they want to know from it? Like, is there some kind of like query return yeah. kind of action on it and stuff like that?
1: It really depends. It's, a, it's like an extremely horizontal platform, which is really good because it gives us a broad addressable market it's it's challenging at times because some of our customers are doing like churn modeling some of them are doing fraud detection some of them are are doing marketing optimization or marketing attribution it really depends it's it's pretty common for us to go initially sell to a large data team that is sort of a shared service supporting the rest of the organization and then over time we get folks who are embedded in the business supporting a specific domain within that business so it's We're not a verticalized platform. It's it's extremely horizontal.
0: This is a pure tool. Like this is like this is like it's a platform. This is powerful. Go use it. Go use it to your
1: yeah. It's like it's like saying like what are we using Tableau for at XYZ company? Like each department uses it for their own particular KPIs and business metrics. X is sort of the next generation version of that.
0: Okay. 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 Yeah, I got it. Got it. Got it. That does make sense. And that, that would make sense to all the people like me as well. So good, good messaging, even though we're not your ICP whatsoever either. No. Uh, All right. So that's helpful on the hex side, kind of, kind of understanding that. So you guys are sitting there, you kind of gave the background of of speaking to, speaking to your, your founder, Barry, and then, uh, and then mentioning like, Hey, there was early days and there was series A raised some revenue. Now you're into series B and I, uh, I assume that that means trying to take it, even further in the go-to-market motion, where do you guys stand today? And, and maybe what are some of the challenges you're facing, you know, quarter over quarter as you're trying to build it? You already mentioned some messaging, trying to come up with some messaging, like having some, some iterations on the value messaging, I'm sure. But uh, yeah, if you could sort of unpack that for us.
1: Yeah, I would say up until recently, our, our North Star metric was logos, paid, paid logos. And we've, we've kind of got... We've proven that we can acquire logos at scale and we've got pretty good product market fit. So very recently we started, we're not pivoting to the enterprise by any means, but we're starting to explore different avenues and channels to start calling on larger customers. We'll be a mid-market business for the foreseeable future, but we, we definitely plan on exploring the enterprise. We have a number of enterprise customers today. We've got a pretty nice pipeline full of enterprise customers. So moving up market is something that is very top of mind for us at the moment. The other thing that we want to do is, is really double down on that mid-market space. So I would say most of the AE hire I'm doing is, is in that space. We've got a product and a motion that's working exceptionally well. We need to codify that, figure out how to roll that out as, at scale as we continue to hire more and more
0: AEs. Okay. Okay. Got it. Yeah, that's helpful. Any of those like particularly sticky right now, or is everything just like there's a plan, things are moving along, like these are these are uh, these are rolling forward, or is there anything that's like, hey, this is problematic, like this is going to be this one's going to be a sticking point for a while?
1: Yeah, I, I mean, you know, when I talk to other revenue leaders out there, pipeline generation is, uh, is the big challenge with these macro headwinds, and what we've seen is is that the further up market you go, the more resilient the pipeline has been. And just like us and just like every other prudent SaaS company out there, we're seeing pullbacks largely in venture-backed tech. Hiring is slowing. SaaS spend is being more heavily scrutinized. Deal cycles are lengthening. So figuring out what the right balance here is on how we diversify our revenue stream across different market segments is is something that we're spending a lot of time on at Hex. Mm.
0: Okay. Okay. Yeah, that's, that is interesting. You kind of, you can't take a peruse throughout through LinkedIn without kind of seeing any of these numbers that are coming Layers. through. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, we yeah. associated.
1: And when you're a seat-based licensing model, like we are, like we're, there's contraction is going to happen automatically when, when customers are, are laying off big parts of their workforce. So, so managing that, being able to predict that is something that, yeah, we're spending a lot of time on right now.
0: Okay. Well, let's dive in there then. Like for you at Hex, like how has is, how is selling strategy changed this year or the second half of this year or, or what you see in the foreseeable future?
1: Yeah. A couple things is one, I've I've always sort of like been a little skeptical and we are a PLG company through and through. And I've always been a little skeptical of the term. I think depending on who you ask, they've got a defin- different definition on it. And I I joked that I want to write a blog that PLG is dead, long live ELG, enterprise-led growth. And I say it mostly in jest, but I I look around and I think PLG became this sort of fad in Silicon Valley over the past, I don't know, three or four years where it's like, hey, we're going to make our product super easy to buy and everyone's just going to buy it. And for some companies they did. And I wonder... How much of that was a function of the product was just easier to buy versus like venture capital money was free and budget owners, economic buyers were, were not scrutinizing SaaS spend in a way 18 months ago that they are now. So I think there's this interesting combination of like really cheap money versus really easy ways to procure software. And I think a lot of companies got really used to that selling motion. And I I think a lot of that is going away. And I think the traditional enterprise selling motion, maybe not the same way I used to sell 10, 15 years ago, but some derivative of that that is coming back where where we almost have to assume the economic buyer is the CFO. We got to go in and do value-based selling. You can't do feature function selling anymore. It's what are the, the use cases that we're driving towards? How does that impact your business? Those conversations, I think, are going to come back in a way that they haven't been around the past couple of years. And I think sales organizations and sales leaders need to rectify or recognize that and and re-implement some of those older school selling techniques.
0: Yeah, it's a good, it's a good point because like somewhere along that PLG journey anyway in the product offerings, there is going to be a place where you have to cross the chasm to the enterprise. And at that point that's not necessarily going to be your ground up or like grassroots users swiping a little credit card for 43 cents a user or something like that. (laughs) Yeah. yeah, A real deal. It's going to require MSAs and NDAs and everything that's on the sales cycle. So it's, it's PLG is dead. Long live ELG. Is that the, is that the phrase?
1: I, I don't, I don't know that I'll get that provocative on the website, but like, and look, it's not dead. I I say that in jest. I think. That PLG motion has afforded us insane growth over the past year that I've been here. And I'm grateful that we have it. Um, but what I'm seeing is especially even, at, even in mid-market, larger, larger mid-market deals now are starting to feel the way enterprise deals have felt. Just like how you operate, how you need to navigate those, build cross-functional alignment, all of that.
0: Yeah, yeah, that does make sense. Still think it's a good tagline. Those things are always provocative. You like, you have to, it's clickbait. You get in, and you're like, oh, they are a PLG company. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's fantastic. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. So kind of moving forward with Hex, you kind of mentioned some of the challenges. Anything interesting you're looking forward to doing moving forward? Like what, what's the vision maybe the next, the next 12 months? Where would you want to see your, you can pick them off one at a time. It's a big open-ended question. But like people, product, been here a year, have another year in the seat moving forward you know, what's that, what's that look like?
1: Yeah. So for the team, 12 months from now, we're going to need to at least double the team size. And with that comes implementing process. And I think generally at, at Hex, we're very conscious about not over-sciencing things, not over-processing them and running really stage appropriate process. And so like, I, I'm really, really careful about not Implementing the same sort of deal desk rigor that they have at Oracle at at Hex right now, and then figuring out like when when we can how we how what the right balance is on minimizing process so that we can continue to move fast. And I think velocity is is our is our biggest strength at Hex, and over processing is going to slow that down. So that's that's the big thing I'm thinking through right now. And then as I talked about, just getting more value based. And how we go sell our product and more use case driven, more ROI driven. We just got out of our QBR last week and, you know, at five we're starting to implement the first version of lightweight medic for us that I think is, again, stage appropriate, still allows us to explore the space, figure out what works, doesn't, what doesn't work, and not be overly regimented. And then how do we codify what we learn into best practices and do away with the, the stuff that isn't working for us as a big challenge. And then the last thing that the last big theme out of our QVR was champion enablement. I'm I'm spending a ton of time this quarter putting together packaging to empower our champions to go have sales conversations asynchronously on our behalf. When we're not there, I think that's going to become increasingly important and frankly, somewhere we've underinvested at HEX over the last year.
0: Okay. Okay. Yeah. Those are all great initiatives. And it's so interesting. Like this, these, these progressions happen so quickly. So I remember when we were doing those exact same things at Postman, lightweight version of Medic rolling out. We never really did move to any specific value messaging. Like, you know, there's the schools of thought and the different camps and the challengers and the sandlers and the force managements and things like that. Do you have a, uh, do you have a, a favorite or something that's worked in in the data space that you kind of lean on. They're very similar, I, I mean, know, like there's flavors.
1: No, not not really. And that's why medic is the one where I think people are most classically trained on. It seems to be the most ubiquitous. We're gonna give that a shot here. Let's see how it goes for a couple of quarters.
0: Okay, that's cool. And last like stupid tactical thing on that, medic with one C? Med pick? Like what are we <laughs> like what do you have a reference for? Because there's there's so many little versions of that. Again, all the same, they just how far out you're stretching it.
1: Yeah. Well, so we're actually pairing it back and we're only focusing on three letters for the original implementation. The first rollout fits the metric, try and quantify the business impact Find the pain and then the champion. So, and it's actually Mike is, is our first rollout and we're going to be pretty, pretty disciplined about that. And then we'll think about layering other stuff down the road.
0: I actually really like that because that is the one thing like you're like hey we're just going to start with this but then like just starting with this is like seven criteria essentially and then you layer it in into salesforce fields that you had just kind of otherwise streamlined and like oh we've just made everything super heavy immediately which is not the point the point was like start a process you know and have a common language
1: the th- and the thing i'm worried about is is like I didn't want this to turn into the way I had always treated Medic in the past, which is just like, fill the things out in Salesforce so people don't ask you about it. Like, we're we're really conscious about, like, this needs to be helpful. This is going to be a way for people to be honest with themselves about where their deals are to identify gaps. And I think there's a fine balance there. And and one of the things we talked about in our QBR was like, hey, you're not going to have Full coverage here. You're going to have deals in the yellow. You might even be a little close in deals in the red, but we should aspire to have all these boxes checked and have things in the green. But like, do not think that they're requirements because when people think they're requirements, that's when they start filling out BS in these things. And once we've done that, we're like, the whole exercise has sort of been corrupted. So, yeah, I don't know. It's, I'll let you know how it goes next time we do one of these.
0: Dude, that's that's very cool. We could do one of these every six months and there would be completely new material just at this stage. For sure. I mean, like A and D, it's just so fast. You mentioned double team size. Like, are you only, do you, do you focus only on, uh, you focus on your sales team? What will there be like adjacent departments that are created for the first time or like will they scale at the same rate? Do you have SEs? Do your AEs do it all themselves? How's it work?
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. We've got AEs. So AEs, that's sort of the, in our headcount model, that's like, that's the leading, everything else cascades kind of down from that. So that's, that's how I think about our org growth. But yeah, we're more than double our SE team. We're right now putting our strategy together for what post-sales and CS would look like over here. That's, that's been an interesting conversation is just how CS orgs are evolving and like how different companies are taking different strategies. I don't think we've aligned on that internally, but we, we know we need to do something.
0: Th- this is a huge topic right here. And like, I mean, you're a sales leader, so that will, would it be, sa- it'll say that on the podcast or so everybody will already know that that will be your, your, your viewpoint on it. But as a PLG company, is there, like, do you have a CS team now and do they handle any part of that? So no. Okay. So there is no pre-sales SE motion happening because you don't have any.
1: Pre-sales. Yeah. Pre-sales. So we have an SE team that pairs with an AE. I'm sorry. And then, And then. C-
0: yeah, Customer success is what I'm, I'm referencing though. Like yeah. there's this thing in PLG where like they're already a customer, but they're not an enterprise customer. Also, oh, oh, I, I see. They post sales handoff to CS. Sometimes in PLG, there's this, there's this idea of a, of a customer. They're just not at that level, but they're still being offered like customer success, you know, backing, support, et cetera.
1: Yeah, we do. We call them our product experts. So they're like super support. And, and they're like uh, they, all of our expansion revenue and our growth, like, is, is them and our product organization. And they, we provide really first class support to our customers. But it tends, and, and we don't really discriminate. Are you a paying customer, or a trialing customer? Or are you a community addition? What, we, what we're working out now is like more traditional CS, where it's like, hey, proactively reaching out, doing monthly account plans or quarterly account reviews, all of those things are still sort of an open question for us. Okay.
0: Okay. Okay. Yeah. I got it. So a little bit more on the, on the traditional side. I like it. Super support. I need to, I need to go back and tell a a few people about that and like, you know how we're going with product support. There's a cooler term if you want it. Super support. (laughs) Super support. Super support. All right. I think that was, that was it on, on those right there. the last thing, like you mentioned about velocity, like there's this duality and I think I remember it even from one of our emails like when you're like hey I want to go fast but like at some point I would like to stop found, find out what worked and shape it back together and like do you have a duration of time that you prefer for that and do you have a, a process behind like when do you stop and try to like you know shake loose the cobwebs or like realign on on what's worked what hasn't
1: this is hardly like a like well regimented documented thing but like I'm a big, I'm a big believer in like, don't try and get hundred percent better at anything, get 10% better at the thing you're worst at. And when you're done, move on to the next thing that you're worst at, get 10% better and move on. And that kind of affords, affords us the opportunity to just constantly reevaluate. It's like, you're not spending eight weeks on one thing when like three weeks would have gotten you there. And then you can kind of move on. And that, that often means coming back to something. But it's it's always like what's the burning platform let's like tactically solve that and and being okay with accruing some debt it's something we talk a lot about internally like there's good debt good debt and bad debt when we talk you know Bezos' famous one one way versus two-way doors and like i am more than okay accruing some near-term debt if it allows us to move faster now if it's going to stunt our growth in the future or just be a huge ball of wax to unwind. Like we're going to be much more deliberate about that, but but being okay with moving fast at the expense of other things is something we have a pretty high tolerance for at X.
0: That's cool. Man, the titles the titles for this show just keep on rolling in. Like the the, the 10% better, good debt, bad debt, it's all in there. PLG and <laughs> Fed's probably taking the lead, so.
1: <laughs> I might get in trouble with that one.
0: Okay. Awesome. Awesome. Been really, really helpful to kind of unpack those things. They're, they're helpful for me personally. That's why I do this. Okay. Then you are your sales leader. So been doing it at a couple orgs. So do you have a favorite leadership moment?
1: Yeah. A, a guy I used to work for at Confluent, one of the best sales leaders I've ever worked for. He was two levels above me, but I like, honestly, he, he would just call and like, you know, when the, boss's boss calls you and you're like oh boy I, I gotta pick this up what what's going on and you're like thinking all right what deals do i have in the forecast like where are we at is this stage two or stage three and he would just call just to check in say how are you didn't want to talk business like didn't want to talk pipeline or deals or commits how's your family how are you doing anything i can do and i, I can't remember anyone working for anyone who was like genuine, like that genuinely interested in like me as a human. And it's something I've done my best to, to emulate here at Hex, although not nearly as, as effectively as he did, but it it just really struck me. And even to this day, I'm, I'm like, I, I still text him. I texted him the other week and I just, I just thought that was really cool. And something that isn't done enough in corporate America.
0: I know somebody like that. That is really, really interesting. I'm trying to like get the minute. I was like minute 28 and like send minute 28 to this person in my mind. Like, Hey, you know that thing you do? This guy had a guy too. That's cool.
1: And it's so cheap. It, as a sales leader, it costs you nothing. And like people remember it and it's, it just, it's a great way to build loyalty. And yeah, I, again, I, I want to re- emulate that as much as I can.
0: Yeah. It's Taylor. That's a great reminder right there. All right. That one's coming up. Let's. Have you ever heard of the book The One Thing? Like the One Thing. It's like, it's just. It. The whole no. premise of it is super simple. It, it, I, just, it's I like,
1: could probably deduce. Yeah.
0: And then you chapter after chapter of like beating you over the head with it in like various aspects of your life or business or however the chapter happens to go. But in hypergrowth, it's really hard to apply. Like super hard. So it's a good exercise. I try to narrow it down to three typically if I do it with my team. But like, is there any one thing that you know you have got to get right? Like you personally, like it's on your shoulders. You're the DRI, the directly responsible individual for this one thing in order for hex to grow?
1: Yeah. I, I mean, like one of them is is headcount planning is just really difficult, especially in this market. And I think getting too like i think the thing i'm more scared of is getting too far out in front of my skis and over-hiring and you know we could have a Q1 QBR with a bunch of AEs running around looking like those sad emaciated polar bears cuz there's no ice and like and i, I like i don't i want to hire commensurately with the pipeline that we're generating at the same time, I know that there are very lofty targets for us to hit next year. And I can't do that with the team that I have in place today. And that's a, in some ways, like the investments, the hiring investments we make in Q2 this year, or, or second half of this year, I should say, are setting me up to have a, a, an on-target first half of next year. And then so so balancing that with the pipeline that we're generating is something I think about a lot. And then... The flip side is you underhire and like you want to, you, you, you might have to run your AEs a little hot, your SEs a little hot. And while they would all love that from an earnings potential, like no one can go out there and sustainably run at 200% for a, any prolonged period of time. So then we start dropping balls and now we're not making the most out of our opportunities. So figuring out how to thread that needle is, is something I, I think a lot about a lot. And one of our, one of our investors told me like, the good news is you'll never get it right. You'll always either be too far ahead or too far behind. It's just a matter of how how far ahead and how far behind you get.
0: It does take the pressure off to like actually hear that. That's interesting. Like, oh yeah, by the way, you'll screw this up. Like, oh good, because I was worried about yeah. turning it out. Turns out it's yeah. gonna happen anyway, yeah. so that's good. Uh, that is not the answer, but like when you unpack it, it makes perfect sense because that one sc- falls squarely to you. Like they're looking for your recommendation on how to do that. And then you're going to have the hiring quota to do it. And, you, and it's again, a lot of things that will come back to you that really nobody else can go do or make the decisions on.
1: Well, but then right. all the supporting casts some support people, SEs, CS people, like, like there's marketing, demand gen and pipeline, like all of those trickle down from from what that A e count is. So yeah, we get too far ahead of this and like we've we've got a lot of people sitting on the bench and that's expensive.
0: Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It makes sense. Is,
1: did I not answer your question the right it, way though?
0: No, it's perfect. Like it's probably like it was going to be <laughs> it's like there, there's head of sales. This is revenue related no matter what. It's a dumb question because he just goes, yeah, revenue like that. But it's like, that's interesting. Cause like, I, I mean that maybe that's the, of course, or like you have help on that. Cause you have your reps like pushing there and they know what's going on. But the head count answer is like, yeah. Cause that is falls squarely on your shoulders. Makes sense. it's a new question. I'm gonna keep that one in there. I like it. All right. To wrap then, and this is like, this is like just because this is a journey and this is like a a different kind of thing that like brings you into this particular org. Cause again, the hyper growth people are a different, a bit of a different breed and you have to like, it's high risk, high reward. You're an entrepreneur. It's like a, it's, it's different than moving into a corporation where you kind of like have the processes all set up and everything. But to do the job you're doing today, what advice would you give yourself 10 years ago? Just like to. Chill out, cool out. You're gonna want to know X, Y, and Z, learn these skill sets, like enjoy it as it's happening because you'll look back. You know, there's all kinds of things, but this would be for yourself, but 10 years ago, if you can even picture it.
1: Yeah, and it's something I talk to a lot of people about today. It's like, and it's and I'm gonna say it sounds kind of crazy, but care less. Mm. And when I was younger, I had a pretty unhealthy relationship with my job. And it was like the only thing that mattered. I locked, I lacked a ton of perspective. And, like, deals coming in or not, like, I got way too high and I got way too low. And I I just had an epiphany one day and I was like, hey, man, like, you know, this is part of life and, like, you just got to relax. And I think my blood pressure probably came down 30%. It hasn't risen much higher since then. And, like, the pressures of the job change as you take on more responsibility and, yeah, you know, more span of control. But I think, like, caring less and having more mature perspective about what it is that we're doing and, like, the impact I'm having on, on the world and society in general has definitely been helpful for me.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. That's such a good one, too. Yeah, that's definitely a good one. I got this a couple times. I've changed roles a lot, and I'm a career changer. I was a teacher formerly, so high school science teacher. And it's pretty – I have, like, four jobs all rolled into one, coaching, like, varsity soccer and things like that. So it's a lot going on. And then I went ahead and retired like a year in advance. It was 10 years. So you retire a year in advance. You just tell them like, hey, this is that like last one. You signed the contract. I'm going to do one more guys. And then, and then I'm out going to go off and figure it out. What are you going to do? Oh, I don't know. I read the sales book. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll that. <laughs> like literally that's yeah. how my sales career started. And I went and got my job on a snow day from school in the South. Like the like a snow day is like yeah. if it's in the forecast. And so like I caught kind of up like, Oh, we're not even going to school today. Awesome. And I put on like a suit, which you're not supposed to do for tech. And then went out and was like, try to get a tech sales job, knocking on doors, which, you know, people were in the <laughs> office then at least, thank goodness. But like the pressure came on after that. I, I taught so what that like, Last year was like my best year of teaching ever because it was like, yeah, I'm retired. Like I had 55 days that I could have taken that I was not going to get paid for and take any of them. Like I had no pressure. I was like coming in every day. I was like, guys, we get this biology lab today. You're going to love it. You know, you're going to freak out for this, but we're going to have to catch the frogs first before we... You know, it was like crazy stuff we were doing. Yeah, like that. It It was good. It's a it's a good one, and people don't. Oh, by the way, this is another title too. So, like, these are all kind of be like these
1: derogatory, ter
0: ter terrible titles that people are gonna have to watch the whole episode to know it's actually a. a, No, I
1: just think that's not to say that, especially in sales, and even more so in sales leadership. There's always pressure, but it's not like existential. Like your life is over if you don't hit your number. Pressure and. Ten ten years ago, me didn't have that perspective. It,
0: they say when you're trying to like hit a ball or something like that, or for me it's soccer, so it's like it's like it's like just sh- striking the ball with your foot. But it's like eighty percent because you need a little bit of like looseness in there. You have to have a little bit of like like elasticity to be able to manage all that. It's like whiplash, I guess. So uh, so it's a it's a totally overlooked one too. Really fantastic interview. Really appreciate your time. Thanks, and we should do it again in six months because everything will have changed by then.
1: Let's do it, man. Appreciate you having me
0: on. Awesome. Thanks, Andrew.